This is the World of Chinese Podcast, a regular supplement to our print and online content. I'm Tyler Roney. And I'm Avijan Baruba. Today we'll be talking about climate change as well as parks. It's not as dull as it sounds. Apparently parks aren't perceived in China the way most of us do in the rest of the world. As for climate change, the Paris Agreement America and China were bragging about has been turned on its head. Now the world waits to see what changes next, especially with both America and China set to do a U-turn. Here's David Dawson. It's not easy to pin down exactly what came out of the recent G20 meeting in Hangzhou. Most headlines in Chinese media merely reiterated China's pride in hosting the event and asserted the importance of ongoing international cooperation. The one key achievement seemed to be that the US and China had signed on to the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. Most of the negotiations had, of course, already occurred behind the scenes, but that didn't detract from the significance of this milestone. The world's two largest emitters were on board. Having these two players involved was a big boost, as the agreement basically pushes these countries to keep global climate change to less than 2 degrees higher than pre-industrial times while shooting for just 1.5 degrees Celsius. For a while there, things were looking pretty bright, but as it turns out, a lot can happen in just a month. Since the world of Chinese put together the climate issue, which looked at the ways climate change is already affecting China as well as efforts to cut emissions, a lot has taken place on both sides of the Pacific. In the U.S., with the surprise election victory of Donald Trump, U.S. participation in the Paris Agreement is in doubt. Now, although the mechanisms of the agreement mean that it may be difficult for the U.S. to pull out of the agreement in less than a year, the mixed messages coming out of the Trump administration would indicate that regardless of climate pledges, the administration will roll back restrictions on coal and oil producers. On the Paris Agreement, Trump told the New York Times in an interview that there is some connectivity between climate change and human activity and that it may be something to look at. He said he was open to looking at the Paris Agreement. As for China, in the past month it would seem that authorities have significantly relaxed their approach to coal production and consumption. The coal consumption figure that China was aiming for by 2020 has been increased by 20%. What a difference a month can make. Now, David, there were a few issues regarding the timing of its publication and some other things happening at the same time that sort of nearly changed the story a bit, didn't it? Right. Well, just after we released that article, there were some pretty big changes in terms of climate change efforts, both in China and in the US, which both kind of have effects on each other, of course. Um, The big one here in China was that the authorities released a new plan which uh, indicated the steps that they were going to take leading up to 2020, and uh, it included a significant relaxation on restrictions on coal emissions. Basically, within the next four years, they decided that their restrictions were going to be relaxed by about 20%, so that effectively means a fifth more in terms of coal emissions might be released. Um, So that was a pretty big one. And then that came just before the U.S. presidential elections, of course, Uh, And now that has also thrown a lot of doubt around uh, the entire world. Yes, yes. (laughs) And and, uh, U.S. commitments to climate change in in this respect. So there is certainly a lot of uncertainty right now. And uh, I think one thing that people perhaps need to be aware of is that that uncertainty in itself uh, can also have an impact on climate change efforts. When, well, when Donald Trump pulls out of the climate uh, accords, uh, the the Paris Agreement. Um, what do you think the effect is going to be from China? Because all of the back padding that they had been doing is now null and void. 
Well, there's, I mean, uh, going back to that sort of uncertainty, there is a lot of uncertainty over whether or not he, he will p- pull out of the climate accord. There's actually quite a few different levels uh, to which he may pursue um, avenues which are at odds with, with climate change efforts. Um, so to start with, in order to pull out of these agreements, it would take you know, up to about four years, I mean, his entire term, uh, to pull out of just the, the Paris Accord according to, to the requirements of that agreement. Um, there are other avenues he could pursue, like pulling out of uh, the UN climate change protocols entirely effectively, uh, which would take about a year still. So he, he may make the judgment that those efforts are a bit too difficult. But then again, I mean, who knows? He could, he could bank on the idea that these kinds of agreements are a bit difficult to really police or implement and, you know, just effectively try to ignore them. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways this could really play out. Right, but from the side of China, exactly why would they stay in it when the U.S. can so uh, so clearly just leave? Well, there's already been quite a bit of rhetoric coming out regarding the, the potential profit, actually, in uh, climate change technology. China has had ambitions here for a while. I mean, there are many who think that the, the key reason why they've actually been a key supporter of climate change efforts has related not just to the environmental ramifications, but also the hope that they can cash in and become the next sort of Silicon Valley of of climate change technology. I think there's certainly a lot of hope in China that if the US pulls back in this area, suddenly new markets might open up for China, be they in Europe, Africa, or wherever, uh, for cleaner technology, if, if the US isn't going to subsidize or, or fund or support its own clean energy manufacturers. Is it possible that even if theoretically or technically America remains in that agreement, on the ground, it may end up having no effect whatsoever. Well, this is, again, yeah, that un- that uncertainty really comes into play here very, very significantly. And it's been interesting seeing how uh, China is being touted as a, as a potential climate change leader, uh, given the fact that uh, when it comes to climate change agreements, China has, on the one hand, been a very vociferous supporter of them. On the other hand, there's been pretty strong reservations regarding transparency requirements and actual uh, ability to oversee and and uh, and check these kinds of agreements. So uh, you could end up in a situation where you've got a bit of a, a, a double whammy in terms of the ability to actually enforce these very complex kinds of agreements. Insofar as, uh, on the one hand, you're one of the world's largest, one of the largest players, the U.S. perhaps not enforcing it very strongly, and secondly, uh, China uh, helping to. Whilst supporting and uh, trying to push its own uh, goals in terms of climate change, at the same time, uh, not really having a system which is particularly conducive to transparency there. Well, despite the bleak forecast from the climate change and changes about the climate change, there's still time to enjoy the outdoors, including parks, even in a city as urbanized as Beijing. But there's an issue with the idea of a truly public park here in the Chinese capital. A difference in cultural perception, perhaps. Hadi Liu has the details. Imagine a park that has no barrier from the surrounding neighborhood, nothing to prevent you from stopping right off the sidewalk into the park from any direction. This is hardly a revolutionary concept in urban design, and you'd be forgiven for thinking it is, in fact, the dictionary definition of a public park. After all, 19th century architect Frederick Law Olmsted, legendary designer of that gold standard in urban parks, New York Central Park, once argued before a panel of American social scientists that the word park 
should only be used to describe a simple, broad, open space of clean greensward to which people can easily go and provide the greatest possible contrast with the constraining and confining conditions of the town. A land developer in Shanghai's Xuhui district, however, asked the readers of a local political magazine, the paper, to make just that leap of imagination last year. Their announcement of plans to make an open access, fenceless green space on land donated by the local government in the district's new CBD was enthusiastically received by the local media, which promoted it as a centerpiece of modernized city planning and Xuhui's own version of Central Park. Back in 2009, the Guangzhou government's, quote, give the park back to the people movement had the same bright idea, proposing to tear down the walls around three of their biggest urban parks. In their case, however, the plans were temporarily halted due to an outcry from local residents. One elderly Guangzhou resident, surnamed Chen, complained to the Yangcheng Evening News, tear down the walls and you can no longer call it a park. His argument was a linguistic one. The character Yuan for garden in the Chinese word for public park, which is gongyuan, uses the ko radical, which comes from ancient ideographic representation for enclosure. Other citizens translated his concern into more practical terms. Without walls, what was to prevent the park from becoming a free hotel for the homeless or a wretched hive of criminals who could enter and escape at will? Encouraged by official directives to add recreational areas and green spaces to the urban landscape, cities in China are increasingly building so-called open-style parks. But the history of truly open-plan public access parks in China is short, and the learning curve they present is steep. So, Hattie, that yeah. does seem to be the essence of the piece, doesn't it? This contradiction of the word park and and what people are used to. You yourself talk about, as a child growing up in Beijing, you're used to parks with walls. But to to others outside of China, when you think park, you just think of a stretch of grass that's open on all four sides, basically. Maybe not in the middle of the street, but easily accessible. But that seems to be. A major bone of contention, even even among local residents, who said you can't have a park without a gate. Even in terms of etymology, even in terms of calling it a park in Chinese, it would have to come with some sort of meaning of being gated and walled. Um, I mean, I don't think it necessarily has to have that meaning. It's just always had that meaning. Obviously, the guy who made that comment about you know the character for park, it has the character or the radical for enclosure around it. I do. I mean, he's sort of. I think he was saying that in a symbolic sense, and sort of translating his concern about safety and about you know what kind of people are allowed in this park, and also just with tradition, with his you know historically, this is how we always thought of a park, and this is how I'm going to continue to think of parks and how I think they should be built. So, I don't know if necessarily you could say on the etymological level, people are、uh, resistant to thinking of parks without the walls. I Of course, the practical reasons and the historical reasons I think are more important.、Um, I think there's a sense also that parks are sort of they guard something that's、uh, that's of historical significance. So, like with the city walls park again, they have that one section where you have to pay admission, and、um, and the the park manager told me that technically the rest of the park is just called a green space, and the only park. Part of the park is the part where you have to pay admission and see a city wall and some some historical or archaeologically significant、uh, some artifact or some relic, and so that's what they want to I think keep the word park to mean due to these various historical factors. 
it it sort of sounds like the way the word park is perceived for people here in China would be the equivalent of some sort of a display or any kind of shrine, but not quite park in the sense people outside of China would think of gardens. Um, yeah, I think you're correct, and I think. That again has a lot to do with how parks, just even you know, in the nineteen up until the nineteen nineties, were being used. So, a public park means a park that doesn't belong to your specific dunway. So, you could go there. Somebody from another dunway could go there, but you do pay admission, and it's a sort of, it's a specialized sort of recreation. Like I said, it's you go there to see something historical, or it's what I guess we would say as a tourist attraction almost. But even those、right. spaces, like many public places we've got in Beijing, there's still a sort of structure. To entering it, it's it's not like anybody can enter from any which way they can. In my impressions, I don't think the security is extremely tight in these places anyway.、Uh, oftentimes, you know, anybody could really enter them. But no, but yes, but but the fences do、yes. exist. The, the fences do exist, and they do sort of they do create a certain、uh, effect on how you interact with the space. So, for example, you have to go to the gate. You know, like you said, it's it's controlled. You funnel it. Everybody enters from the same point and sort of. Goes around the park in you know some sort of、uh, pattern, and and also it's sort of screened a little from the street. You can't quite see it. The people who are dancing in the park are not part of the scene that's in the street, and yeah, so that there's a difference in how you imagine and how you, as city residents, how you use the park. Well, hopefully,、uh, parks in the future will be able to walk into them rather than having to climb over walls to get to them. Yeah, absolutely.、Um, not having to climb over parks would be something that that people usually consider essential. Not that, like Hattie mentioned, security isn't exactly very, very strict there. It's just the presence there, just from from the outset. It just doesn't feel like a park to many people. But apparently, in China, it doesn't feel like a park if it doesn't have walls. Yeah, and I live right next to Chaoyang Park, so、uh, I'd rather have to not take a bulldozer in order to go to it, rather than、uh, going thirty minutes around in a cab to get into a park that I can see from my apartment. Yeah, pretty much.、Um, it's taken me hours to just find the right place in Chaoyang Park as well, and that's that is one of the biggest parks in in Beijing. Even the smaller parks. They're they're a bit difficult to find your way around sometimes. Yeah, well, this is the world of Chinese magazine.、Uh, we're proud to bring you news, views, and reviews from around the Middle Kingdom.、Uh, thank you for listening, and remember to check out our website at theworldofchinese.com for daily stories and subscription information. From Beijing, I've been Tyler Roney, and I've been Abijan Barua. Thanks for listening.